Christmas Church, go on, get on out of here. We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount today, and as I have approached the different sections of the Sermon on the Mount, there, just to be honest with you, there have been some sections where I was thinking, oh boy, this might be a bit challenging for myself. There are some other sections that you'll come across, and if you just look at the paragraph, you can kind of understand what the main idea is going to be. And today might be an idea, um, a topic that many people would think, oh, you know what? I got this one covered. Not too nervous about this one. Um, just to let you know what we're going to be talking about, it's the topic of worry. If you're an individual who has the three C's most of the time, you are cool, calm, and collected, I don't want you to tune out. Okay? I don't want anybody to tune out. But having said that, I don't want you to think there's not something for you in this teaching of Jesus Christ today. In fact, this has been my experience. When I have approached an area that I thought I had a pretty good handle on it, the Holy Spirit has convicted me in my walk through the teaching of Jesus Christ, and he has asked me for something a bit harder than the other times. Some of the other areas, I, I know what the application is going to be, and I know, yes, I already know I'm weak in this area. When it comes to worry, I have had in the past uh, few days my mind flooded with the number of times that I have worried, that I have had fear or anxiety grip me, even if it be just for a short amount of time. And so I just want to encourage you today that there is something for everyone that would come to this passage and for all of us who would listen to this challenge today. I'd like to stop one more time and ask for the clear teaching of the Holy Spirit as we join. Heavenly Father, we would come to you and ask that you would be faithful to your promise that whoever asks for wisdom, that you would give it. We understand that the clear teaching of the Holy Spirit can not be rivaled by anything. And so I, as I've already today asked for that, and I would ask one more time that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved be our obvious teacher as we open your perfect word today. We would praise you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife received some advice when we were first married that um, she has heeded, and that I hear every once in a while she will reference that advice. It was a wonderful woman at our church that uh, we were first at when, we got, when I got out of Bible college. And this woman told my wife, do not ignore that funny feeling deep within you. Just go ahead and understand if there's a funny feeling or something feels wrong, don't ignore that. Well, she has heeded that advice and she's not ignored those uh, for the most part over the years. Having said that, in the past week, she ignored a funny feeling that she had and ended up regretting it just a little bit. When we were on vacation last week, and thank you for those of us who prayed for myself and our family, we had a great time split between family for the first part of vacation, and then we went and saw uh, some of the sights of New York City for the second part. It was wonderful. I do covet your prayers uh, when we go out and we're, are gone like that, and, and so nice to be able to know that you guys are here worshiping God when we're gone. Having said that, we were at a hotel there in New York City, and our room was on the 18th floor. We had an experience at this hotel that the elevators were running very, very slow. There was a long wait, no matter what, uh, to get onto an elevator. 
So one day, it was actually a week ago today, last Sunday, as we went to get on the elevator, it pulled up and there were 10 other individuals on an elevator that's about seven foot by seven foot. So it was pretty snug. But we knew we had to wait sometimes. Tina had a feeling deep within her, do not get on that elevator. And we ignored it. We kind of, you know, bullied her onto it. And the four of us squeezed on into the middle. Nobody near a wall or a door. Fourteen of us. We just had a five-second ride down, so we thought. Having said that, we got on the elevator. Nobody else got on. Fourteen individuals in a small, cramped, no-air-conditioned elevator. And as it went down to the bottom, where everybody watches the numbers count down till you get to the L, which stands for lobby, and then we would get out. And it actually, I think, came to the L there that came up, and we were waiting, but then all of a sudden there was a little bit of a bump about like that. And as we were there, the doors did not open. Uh, so it was, it was interesting, and we were wondering what was going to happen. Well, immediately somebody pressed a button, they had to move their arms around because it was so tight in there to press the button to call for someone and they said yes yes we'll call maintenance right away and so we stood there wondering what was going to happen next and nothing happened next Uh, we buzzed a little bit later and everybody's wondering what's going to happen and there were some people that were very very nervous immediately on that elevator They buzzed the button again, and we weren't sure who they called. Yes, yes, they were kind of short with us. We've already called maintenance. Yes, we understand. And some of us were thinking you need to call the fire department to get this uh, settled. No air conditioning on the elevator. I will tell you that we had 40 minutes stuck on that elevator with all those people. As we were there, the, um, I don't think condensation is the right word, but on the wall you can wipe your hand and just the moisture on there. Uh, one fella that was over here was very, very nervous. It was so hot, he took off his shirt right away, which gave him some good space, of course, (laughs) in the elevator ride. Another individual, I'm pretty sure, didn't speak any English. He was in the corner. You can see it on his face that he was scared. I want to suggest that there were 14 different levels of worry located on that elevator at that time. Some, their worry level was way, way up here. One individual, their hand was shaking like this. Some individuals were not too nervous at all. I got plenty of video clips of the entire thing, and I can see myself in one of the video clips where I'm actually grinning through the ordeal when I'm spinning around. I was, of course, some of you know what I was thinking of. How am I going to work this into one of my sermons? Of course. (laughs) So, 14 different levels of worry of fear that was there. I'm going to come back to that and talk to it just for a short time at the end of our message. But let me start off by asking you a question. What are you afraid of? What do you worry about? Is there something that you have that you are so much thinking about how that could go wrong that you are paralyzed to move forward? Or better, it paralyzes so much of your time. So much of your thinking, we understand that we are only able to give so much time and effort to certain thoughts. And sometimes when people have an area of worry, they will allow themselves to be dominated by that. What we'll see in God's Word today is the topic of maturity as a Christian. And I don't mean this to be any kind of a slight to anyone who struggles particularly with this area. 
As I've already said, this is an area where if you don't think you struggle with this, I'm going to ask you to dig deep. Go to some of those areas where God might have you grow. Jesus almost sounds unkind in some of his words. Seems like he's name-calling a little bit when he talks about this. But what we'll see in God's word today is that we will actually hit a ceiling. Do you know what I mean when I say that? You will hit a ceiling in your spiritual maturity if you are living with constant fear and constant anxiety and constant worry. Now, you're not in bad company, okay? In fact, I would suggest that you're surrounded by many people who struggle with worry, struggle with anxiety. We need to not be too harsh about how we uh, word this. So if someone says, are you worried about that? Don't think that they're calling you a sinner, all right? This, some of these words have worked their way, way into our vocabulary. In fact, I asked someone in my house yesterday, do you have any anxiety about this coming up? Well, clearly there are some things that would cause more anxiety than others. And this not only happens in our day, but it's been going back for thousands of years and going back all the way to some of the greatest characters in the Bible. Let me mention just one for you to set up this topic of worry for us. When we look at Samuel in the Bible, Samuel is one of our heroes of the faith. He was one who was able to do so many great things for God, and we see God's God's hand clearly upon him the entire time of his life. Having said that, can you remember that Samuel is the individual who anointed the second king of Israel, who was King David, but Samuel also was the one who anointed the first king of Israel. Who was that class? That was Saul. God spoke to Samuel one day, and he said, Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel's response is very helpful for us as we see it. Because Samuel responds in a way like likely you and I would have. If King Saul finds out that I am going to anoint another king, someone else, then I will be killed. And God calms him as much as he could be calmed, and he says, obey. Do this. So we need to understand when it comes to fear or anxiety, we're not just talking about the small things in life. I will admit that if you cannot sweat the small things, there will be some less stress and maybe your life will go smoother. Having said that, the Bible is going to talk about, and we're going to look at one example right at the end of our time, of when someone's life is in danger and the fear that can come and a lesson that Jesus Christ teaches about that. Most individuals encounter fear. I would say that almost all of us have something that is going to cause um, some fear on our side. But God desires for us not to live in that place of fear, but to be able to move on, to correct ourselves. There are some people who are not able to correct themselves. Their life is dominated by anxiety. And you know, that's a shame. We need to not quote Bible verses at people that are going through that kind of a thing. But there is no doubt that God has something for all of us that are his children in this world. And if we're allowing ourselves to be taken out of the game because we're worried about tomorrow and next week and next year, or as we'll see, maybe worried about last week or last year, then the devil is going to have a smile on his face with making us ineffective. 
All that to take us to our text. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places in your Bibles. If you would turn to Mark chapter 4 and mark that. Mark, Mark chapter 4. So place a bulletin there or a marker from your Bible. And we're going to come to that toward the end of our time. We'll be there a couple times. Mark chapter 4. And then once you mark that, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the place that we um, are going to be talking about the next several verses. Verses 25 through 34 of Matthew 6. When Jesus Christ gives this teaching here, I want us to keep in mind, I, always, I oftentimes try to bring us back to this contrast. Sometimes it's very clear. Jesus said that if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And so I think that theme still carries through here. We find a contrast between what individuals who do not really care about God are focusing on, are giving their efforts towards, and what Jesus Christ wants us to be focusing on and give our effort towards. Look at verse number 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore, and if you look just in the few verses that, was, that were covered last week, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, destroy, where thieves break in and steal. There's a contrast. Verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. You're going to love one or the other. So that's what therefore is pointing us back to. Just a little side lesson. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, we need to go back and see what the word therefore is there for. Easy way to remember that. Christ is building upon laying up treasures either on earth or in heaven. And he says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So when Jesus Christ tells us not to worry, we need to understand that he is not putting down the idea that we need food. He's not dismissing the idea that we need clothes and we need shelter. In fact, let me remind us that Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, took on a human body that had needs. As we see him ministering that three-year record of his life, we find oftentimes he would work himself until he had to have rest. He had to sneak away. And Jesus Christ was wonderful at putting some of those things away for others. But Christ was one who had a human body like you and I. And so he knew about these needs. Keep in mind the perspective here. There is a perspective, a comparison what is going to be very short-term, and what is going to last for eternity. Now, let me just talk about verse 25 for a moment, and I'm going to um, just give a little side note here because it's my experience that every section of the Bible, the devil has been successful at taking it and twisting it in some way, and even getting us to fight amongst ourselves about it. And so let me mention one thing here in verse number 25 that I think many people will overcompensate. When Jesus tells us not to worry about our physical needs, he is not telling us to deny our physical needs. Jesus is just saying, do not be anxious about your food. Don't be worrisome about your clothes, about your height, about yesterday or tomorrow. 
He's teaching a contrast, and he wants us to be focusing on what we are consumed with. Just because you are going to eat your next meal doesn't mean you're consumed with that. Just because you have a job that pays you a paycheck, or maybe two jobs, doesn't mean that you're consumed with that. But very easily, you and I can fall into a place where we are consumed with these things. Jesus Christ tells us we need to pay attention to what we are consumed with. He's teaching this contrast And I want to talk about something that's an easy road for some people to go down. We're always looking for what's the best road to go down to introduce people to Jesus or the church or Christianity. And there there are some people that would want to talk about the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ and how, if you will just accept this, that you will prosper in life. There are some people that will say, if you will just accept Jesus Christ into your life, then you won't have to worry anymore. And some of you silently right now are saying hogwash, right? I've accepted Christ and I still struggle with the area of worry. And so there's this temptation to say, if you will just trust God, you don't have to ever have any more anxiety. Well, we have a command here of what God wants us to do. But the teaching is not that if we come to Jesus Christ that we will never have anything to worry about. The teaching is, when we go through the difficult times, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to ask you to respond. The teaching is, when you and I go through difficult times and all God's people said, amen, it's going to come. The teaching is not that God removes the difficult times. The teaching we find in God's word is that his grace that he gives is sufficient to take us through that. It's very likely he's preparing you for something amazing and you have to go through this testing, this refining fire. And that's part of what God is doing to take you to where he wants to use you. So I'm not telling you beg for patience or beg for trials, but I am telling you that when they come, I talked with a a young father this past week and he was talking about the struggles of parenting and marriage And I relayed this idea. It's not that the problems go away. The idea is is that God will be with us and give us the grace to go through that. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ is teaching here. And so I want to give us four reasons why Jesus tells us not to worry. Four reasons why Christ tells us not to worry. These will probably appear to be very basic because they are, but I don't think that we need to Uh, dress them up too much to apply this to our lives. For a reason, Christ tells us not to worry. Number one, don't worry because God cares for you. You should not worry. Do not allow your life to be dominated by fear or anxiety because God cares for you. Look at verse number 26 with me. Jesus Christ just talked about that. Don't be anxious. And then verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Don't miss the last part. Are you not of more value than they? 
Jesus Christ gives an example of how God, the creator of this universe, cares for his creation by pointing to the birds. You know, it could have been that there was a a group of birds that maybe flew by when Christ was teaching this there on the mountainside. And he points to those birds and he says, look at them. They are not anxious and worried about tomorrow. They are not because God takes care of them. And you are, you are loved more than they are. Here's where the rubber meets the road for this topic here. It's do you genuinely believe, listen, do you genuinely, genuinely believe that God cares for you? Amen. Yeah. Now, many of us, we, I mean, we see it in the Bible. We sing about it all the time. Having said that, when it comes to what your life is dominated by, if you understand that God genuinely cares for you, it's going to help you with this area of anxiety. Now, this does not mean that we fail as the stewards that God wants us to be. Some of you have been given the stewardship of a mind that can go out and work a job and raise money to uh, support yourself, but also give to God's work. Give to God's kingdom. Praise God for that. This is not an excuse for you not to be a good steward maybe of the strength that you have. Some would say, I'm going to work two jobs. Now, the idea is, am I dominated by that idea that I can build my bank account? Am I dominated by the idea of clothes or food, more, 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 next step? Or am I dominated by the idea that I can do things that God has enabled me to do for his glory? Seeking first to allow what God has given me to be used for him. And as we're going to see when we do that, all those other things, they are added to our lives. What was the animal that Jesus used as the illustration? It was a bird. Have you ever watched birds for any amount of time? Anybody who thinks you can read this verse right here and say, well, I don't have to work a job, Because Jesus said, don't worry about it. He'll take care of me. Look at the birds. When I was with family last week, my sister-in-law had a bird feeder where hummingbirds would come up. It was just beautiful. But the amount of energy that they were um, exerting to go and just get a drink from that feeder was amazing. Birds are not lazy. So do not think Jesus Christ here is saying, be lazy. That's not at all what is going on. We should get busy and take hold of what God has given you. You are a steward of something, and so use what he has given you, your mind, your strength, your creativity. But do not be consumed with worry about your physical needs, is what he's saying here. But very much we are to realize the stewardship of what God has given. And there's the most perfect example of how God cares for you. I'm going to ask you to think in your minds, what's, what is it? What's he going to say? What's the best example of how God the creator has shown that he cares for man? Even he cares for man above the birds and the other animals. Because God gave his only son to die on a cross and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God cares for you so much that he told his son, go 
And his son freely went because they had made a covenant before the world was founded that Jesus Christ would be this sacrifice for you and for me. That is how much God loves you. There are some verses that oftentimes make me pause or a little foggy. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. That's because he loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. Jesus loves you so much more than the birds of the field. And when you see this example, then you, and you know how much he cares for you, then you can practice 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, casting, and that's our part. He doesn't just, you know, uh, very strongly take it away from us, that worry and anxiety. Casting your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Reason number two not to worry. Don't worry because it doesn't help. Don't worry because it doesn't help. Look at verse 27 with me. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I think he's using a little bit of hyperbole here as he teaches. Jesus says there is no profit in this. There's no help that's going to come in that. But let me go a little bit further. Let me build on this a little bit. Not only is there no help that's going to come if you allow yourself to be dominated by anxiety, I think if you are a a student of, of humans in this world, you will find that actually the opposite happens. Some of you are familiar with the idea that a person who is, has a life dominated by fear and worry, that it actually takes a physical toll upon them. Ulcers individuals will develop. Maybe cold sores will happen. There was an article in a medical journal not too long ago that talked about the bone structure in pregnant women. And if pregnant women were filled with worry and anxiety throughout their pregnancy and they tested the density of their bones, it actually showed that they had, it looked like they, had much, they were much older. It looked like that. They were much older than they actually were compared to women who did not worry, filled with anxiety. I've referenced Proverbs chapter 3, and verses 5 and 6 are very, very familiar verses. And I don't think I'm stretching by taking us to verse number 8, which is what I want to highlight. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what we're talking about here. Trusting God so you don't have to worry. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. We're familiar with that. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then look at this little reassurance of how it will take care of us physically. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Not only will it not benefit us, doesn't do any good, it will actually hurt us to allow ourselves to be dominated by worry. Number three, don't worry because it reveals a lack of faith in God. And that might sound harsh. I sometimes will soften things up a bit. But we need to not worry because it reveals a lack of faith in our God. Look at verses 28, 29, and 30. 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And look what he says. O you of little faith. He's not being unkind there. He's trying to point us to where the lesson is. This is a faith issue. Worry, anxiety, and fear are the opposite of faith. I don't have much experience with drama or acting, um, but I did have one time when I was 11 years old where they had a uh, program that was going on in my school. And I went to try out for a part in the program, and they had several parts. They said, which parts do you want to be um, considered for? And I said, just one. And some of you will look at me and say, yeah, you're fit for that part. Um, It was the part of Santa Claus is what it was. And um, I know you're thinking that because I'm so generous, right? Not because I'm chubby. Having said that, we had uh, a part of Santa Claus in there, and I, I tried out for it, and I got the part when I was just 11 years old. I was excited for this, and it was during the daytime. And even though it was wintertime, uh, the, the gymnasium and the stage in particular in the gymnasium was very, very hot. And I don't have tons of memories as far as exactly the temperature, but here's how I know how hot it was. There were two individuals that had a part alone, like I did, that were before me, and both of them actually passed out before I went out there on the stage. And I was not dressed in shorts and a t-shirt. I was dressed in all kinds of heavy stuff like that. My teacher, when I was 11 years old, was a Christian. And he knew me. He knew my family. He knew that I was a Christian. And here is the advice that he gave to me when I saw that kid faint and that other kid pass out, not able to conduct himself. Here's the advice that he gave to me knowing that I was at least a churchgoer. He said, you must not have very, much, have very much faith in God, just like that. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here, but that might be a little bit much to drop on an 11-year-old, right? You don't have very much faith in God if you're nervous that you might faint when you get out there on that stage. And so I would suggest to us that this is a maturity issue. There are some individuals that have struggled with fear, that have struggled with worry for their entire lives, and so there needs to be just, here's, here's maybe how you approach it. There needs to be the next step. What's the next step that God might have me go to? It does not mean that you are complete in your sanctification, but it does mean that you are progressing in your growth, in your sanctification. When we worry, we are not trusting God. And this is going to get preachy. Are you ready? which is sin. If, you allow, if you're allowing your life to be dominated by fear, it is sin. And it's no less of a sin than one other one that you would name. Worry kind of gets a pass quite a bit, right? We kind of call it a, a small sin. And yet we are supposed to do the same thing with every one of our sins. We are supposed to take them to the foot of Jesus Christ and confess them. And just as God is faithful to help you get victory over any sin that you would want to stop, listen, God is faithful to allow you to have victory over the sin of worry. 
He is faithful. If you think, if, if you see in his word that he doesn't want you to do it, that it is sin, God never, listen, God never commands us to do something that he does not enable us to do. No matter what your background is, no matter how many times you've fallen, God will give victory over anything that, that the devil could possibly put out there. Take this sin like any other to the foot of the cross. And it's not that it's not going to be a step, right? I think we all get frightened. Does anybody here, when they see a snake, just have endearing thoughts and ideas? Yeah. I jump right at a snake. One of our uh, maintenance men here was working out in the barn the other day, and a snake crawled close by. I know what that sound sounds like when someone screams when they see a snake like that. I think it's a horrible thing. That is not sin unless, listen, unless we allow our life to be dominated by that fear, by that worry. If you allow yourself to, and the extreme is not even leave the house, not make yourself, this is a tough one, this is one I preach to myself, are you ready? If you allow yourself not to be vulnerable to others in the body of Christ. That's hard for me. Leaving myself vulnerable. I've had a few people where I've said, I'm making myself vulnerable to you. I don't like that. You know what I like? Control. That's what I like. It'll get done because I'm going to make sure it gets done. And yet what God wants to do is he wants us to serve others. And listen to me, God wants you to be served. And that might mean you have to let go of something, all the while having faith in God. And finally, don't worry because God knows what your needs are. I told you these all sound basic. Don't worry because God knows what your needs are. Verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I mentioned I am afraid oftentimes of what I can't control. Or sometimes, and I'll give you a practical tip here in just a moment to help you with this one, is being overwhelmed. This one wasn't big enough, and this one wasn't big enough, and this one's pretty big, but it's not going to knock me out. But when you add this one to this one to this one to this one, all of a sudden, sometimes when I talk to people and they ask how I'm doing, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll push on their shoulders like this because it feels like a weight that's just weighing me down, pushing me down. And yet God knew that day was going to come. We said before that we are to trust in a caring God. Jesus Christ taught that. But we also are to trust in a, here's, here it is, we are to trust in a sovereign God. A God who knows everything that has ever happened and will happen. And we can get into theological debates about this, but a God who has not fallen asleep, he understands that everything that is happening is working for his glory and for the good of his children. So God, who is a good God, is a sovereign God. There's nothing outside of his realm of control. 
And there is no one that knows what you need better than God. And here's the examples that he gives here. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. I ask you to hold your place in Mark chapter 4. I want to read a couple verses from there, from Mark chapter 4, with the idea that there's not one need in your life that God does not know, and then the idea that God actually connects this to a common thing that we will be anxious about, that we will worry about. Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 says this. It's the parable of the sower. We're not going to go into great detail, but just focus on one of those seeds that gets tossed out there and the dangerous place. And what happens? It says in verse 18, and the others are the ones sown among thorns. What's that mean? They are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Can you see? Stop for a moment. See how he ties that together? The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. These are tied together and there's coming a result that not one of us wants to have tagged onto our description. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves, there it is, unfruitful. Unfruitful if you are living with constant worry and fear and anxiety. Let me read quickly verse number 33 then we'll be back here in Mark chapter 4. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says here that what you love first, you're going to seek after first. And so love him first, and he will take care of all the physical needs in the best possible way. Listen, in a way even better defined by him than you could do it. I can't stop focusing my life on this. It's not going to be like I want. God can do it better than you can. He can. And if you're allowing yourself to be consumed with these things that are temporal and not the things that are eternal, you are going to be getting what is not best for you. And then verse 34 of Matthew 6 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There are many Christians who struggle, they are stunting their spiritual growth because they are worrying about either the past, am I going to get caught? What happens if they find out that about me in my life? Or the future. I've seen it go wrong before. I'll never be like that. Here's what we're going to have to do. And people allow themselves to be consumed by the past or the future. I believe this is where we get the phrase, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. All right, in closing, and I'm going to reference a couple verses so don't get too excited. But in closing here, Um, I want to give us a couple things that we can do. Number one, turn your worry list into your prayer list. Turn your worry list into your prayer list. And very, very practically, let me just tell you, if you're, before I give that illustration of like the weight on the shoulders, that's that accumulating 
Do you have this concern and this job and this task? And then you go and you open your email and you've got 14 other things. And then someone gives you a call and then you've got this weekly task you have to do and it's all weighing you down. Write this out and make this your prayer list before God. And then very, very practically, and I've done this on a regular basis, when you write this out and then you plan on sharing this with a brother or sister in Christ, when you're writing it out and you're going to relay it to them, sometimes you're thinking through it in a different way. Well, I guess I can't give them all nine of my worries. Let me give the top three. Then you write it out. Okay, how am I going to present this to this one who I'm going to ask to pray for me? Oh, I guess it's not that bad. Now, sometimes it will be bad, but oftentimes we allow ourselves to be consumed by anxiety, and if we would just take a look at it, write it down, allow ourselves to be encouraged by somebody else. I've even had to, been to the point where I finally got to talk to that brother in Christ, and I said, you know what? It's no big deal. Turns out God took care of that, and I loved being in that, being in that place. And then number two, reduce worry by trusting in God's love for you. That's at the heart of this whole passage. Trusting in God's love for you. I want to read in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 37, one incident of Jesus Christ as he was with his followers. Mark chapter 34, starting in verse 37, Jesus is in his earthly ministry, and it says here, It's going to be a familiar story. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, don't miss this, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, potentially, if they're in that kind of a storm, and no longer is the boat in the water, but now the water is in the boat, is there a possibility they were going to die? These were experienced fishermen, many of them. Yes, they were afraid for their life. This was a life or death situation. And Jesus Christ points them to the area of having faith. That's what this is about. Which level do you need to go to next? Have you ever found yourself acting like one of the disciples and saying, don't you even care about me? Did you catch that? Have you ever, in the quietness of your prayers or those things that you don't even want to offer as a prayer, said to God, don't you care about what is happening right now, Father? And God wants to teach you. He wants to prepare you like he prepared the disciples for something great that was ahead of them. A week ago, there were 14 different levels of anxiety represented by 14 different individuals on an elevator. And guess what? Everything turned out okay. Listen to me. Even if 
everything doesn't turn out okay, what's the worst possible thing that can happen to us? If you're a son or a daughter of God, what's the worst possible thing? You could be promoted to the presence of Jesus Christ. If that does not drive you in areas of sickness or surgery, if that does not give you a calmness that God is in control, in this world we live in, the entire population turns over about every 120 years. Every 120 years, a complete turnover. None of us will be here in 120 years. And God is good. The question is going to be the stewardship of the 60, 80, 100 years that he gives you. What are you going to do with what he has given? Are you going to allow the devil to distract you and be consumed by fear and worry? Or are you going to say, yeah, those things are important to me, somewhat, but God will take care of that. But in the meantime, God has something for me to do. What will I do? Will I be spending my time worried about, anxious about the things that are going to rust and fade away, be eaten by moths? Or am I going to spend the things that I'm consumed with, the time I'm consumed with, for things that will last for all eternity. You have the ability to give your efforts and your time and your stewardship to things that will last for eternity. Brothers and sisters, let's purpose in our hearts, in our hands, in our lips that we will work for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you we would praise you for being the one that owns everything. The beautiful creation that you gave, you've given to us, and we see it tainted by sin, and yet it still um, leaves us in awe sometimes. We praise you for that. We praise you that it leaves us in awe that you loved mankind above all the other animals in that you would send Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that we could not be separated from you for eternity but a fellowship with you for eternity. We praise you for these things and for how Christ just tried to point us to the eternal things in this sermon. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna give you a moment to pray. If you're here today and you are not sure where you will spend eternity after this short time here on this earth, you need to take care of that today. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You are a sinner separated from God by your sins. And if you will just ask him for forgiveness, he will make you his child. But he won't force it upon you. You have to come to him and ask for forgiveness. You can do that even right now while the piano plays. I don't know if some of you might have gone to that place that you worry about what makes your hand shake, what keeps you up at night, what gives you ulcers. But I want to give you a chance to talk to God about that right now.